Hi, this is Amanda Dolan and welcome to The Mental Society. Today I'm joined by Gifty Enright. Um, Gifty is an author and international speaker who specializes in women in the workplace and their well-being. She has spoken at multinational organizations and top universities, including Oxford University, and even given a TEDx talk. After years of hearing that women like her could have it all, Gifty felt like she was racing like an octopus on a treadmill from dawn until dusk, juggling her family, career, and the endless demands of modern life to the detriment of her own health. So in her book, Octopus on a Treadmill, Women, Success, Health, and Happiness, she shares the secrets of how she turned her life around by taking a holistic approach to healing and transforming her physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. So Gifty, thank you so much for being here with me. Thanks for having me. You really transformed like every part of your, your life. And that really started, you weren't feeling well physically. So you went to find what was wrong and what did you find was wrong? Well, so, and I wasn't feeling well physically and I hadn't felt well physically for years before I actually went to a doctor. Um, Well, before the point where I started writing the book and I'd been to several doctors and it was always, oh, you know, you've got small children and you have a full-time job. So, you know, feeling tired is all right and that sort of thing. And uh, so I found my symptoms were minimized because I had, you know, extreme fatigue um and where you know I had just about enough energy to go to work and back and that's it and I just come home and collapse on the on the sofa um and then there was all the moodiness the emotional you know ups and downs that went with that um and then headaches all the time um irritability uh, digestive issues um it was uh, dizziness. You you just name it. It was just uh, it was fourteen a different symptoms, right? <laughs> um, uh, that I had, and I had a spreadsheet I was tracking every month to see whether you know I was getting better or worse. And in the end, um, my husband had had enough of all this nonsense, uh, and so he said, "You, because in the UK, obviously uh, uh, healthcare is free, so you 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 just go. But um, if you want to be dealt with immediately and taken seriously, you have to go pay it private." So my husband had had enough, and he said, "Listen, you have to go private and get this treated because the NHS were telling me, it's fine, it's fine." Um, and what was happening was I had two things happening. So it's a perfect storm, right? So I was burnt out and I was suffering from burnout, but that was coinciding um, uh, with the menopause. So I wasn't menopausal, but I was perimenopausal. So all those things were kicking off, you know, so I was having the night sweats and so the moodiness and the irritability and all that. And, <laughs> and obviously not knowing how to live and that appalling lifestyle that I had, do you know, everything then came to a head at that point and you know you know I also had fibroids I was heavy bleeding the whole thing it was just insane it was just a mess and so you go to the doctor and they say here's a bunch of medications and a hysterectomy for you that's what we suggest right right so here's HRT hysterectomy you will be right as rain (laughs) right and I thought okay (laughs) 
surely, surely there's a halfway point or you can warm me up to this or whatever. Um, and it was, I, I, oh my God. And and so, like I said, I, I actually came out of the, the doctor's office. They dropped some of the HRT on me already before I left mm -hmm. the office and, and all that. And listen, I'm not knocking HRT. It made me feel great whilst I was on there. It made me feel fantastic physically. Right. But in my mind, I was constantly battling with what was going on and whether I was happy with this. And it was also at the time uh, where there was a lot of hysteria about HRT and the link to cancer for women mm -hmm. at that time, you know, before it was uh, um, uh, disputed. So I, I was sitting there thinking, OK, you, listen, I can't go from one set of symptoms to another. Right. So I, I just in my head, I I couldn't reconcile with what I had been given and I thought there's got to be another way so I went on a journey to find out the other way um and I reversed all my symptoms all of them by caring for yourself kind of yes. at the core yes yes at the core do you know um because I, I, and I mean this is and again it's got to be holistic so when I talk to people about this right so for us women we're under pressure to burn the candle at both ends uh, and we do that and we think that our lives are there in service of the other lives around us. So your children, your husband, your mother, the cat, yes. the dog, right? So <laughs> this is what is happening. And you're running around like a headless chicken, seeing, making sure that everybody's all right. And then you have a full-time job as well. And so there's no time for yourself. You're, you're not sleeping well um, and you are ignoring your symptoms. And then it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Right. So I had to come and look at my life as it was, take a long, cold, hard look at what had to give, what had to change and put those changes in place. You know, I, I know that you're in, in England, so I don't know what differences there are. But I know for me. I felt like I had to say yes at the school because if I didn't say yes to helping with the party, then no one else was. And then the kids weren't going to have a party. And man, then I'm letting 20 kids in this classroom down. And then like, oh, my, my but also my friend needs, you know, help with her, whatever it is. Like, you know, she's painting her kid's bedroom. So I'm going to go do that. And then you know, for me, I would be like, oh, self-care. I'm going to go to the grocery store by myself to do my weekly grocery shopping. And now I'm like, that's not, that's a chore. That's that's not self-care. That's not self-care. That's, that's another job on the list of things to do. And I mean, I do write a blog and I've written a blog about how uh, self-care is not optional. Do you know, it, it is not an afterthought and it shouldn't be an afterthought because uh, self-care is actually should be part of your medical treatment uh, because if you're doing things like sleeping well, you're helping your biological systems to reset right. whilst you're sleeping. You know, I mean, it's been proven that it helps with weight loss and God knows goodness knows what else it does. Um, and I mean, I was suffering from brain fog. I couldn't think clearly and I was forgetting everybody's names and I thought my memory was going and all that nonsense. No, there's nothing wrong with my memory. I wasn't sleeping well. Yes. Do you and know? Like you mentioned, you mentioned as well, like digestive mm -hmm. issues. I know for me, when I'm not eating well, too, I 
I don't feel well the whole way around. You know, yes. I find that I can't, don't deal with stress. My brain doesn't work as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm terrible at remembering to eat because I, I'm on Adderall. And so it makes me not as hungry and I get focused on work. So I have reminders to eat. And that may seem silly to other people. And also my best friend today, she was like, have you eaten lunch? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. And I was like, took even took a picture. I was like, yes, I'm eating. And that's also something that I think is special about women, though, is that we can have different relationships, like really intimate relationships with people who get it, mm. right? And so I think, mm. Mm. Um, yeah. I think community. I, I, it, it's just, and 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 so I want to talk about a digestive thing, and I'll come and talk about community in a minute. So um for me when i was going to you know being given drugs and everything like that my digestive system was just all over the place i wasn't even absorbing properly right all this medication um and so what was it i mean i had been um uh low in i'd been low in iron i'd been iron deficient forever i was anemic right and i'd been taking iron tablets for as long as i could remember right and I, I just, and I was eating lots of red meat because I saw that's what you had to do and taking these iron tablets and still every time I went for a blood test, I was still anemic. What the hell, right? And now I don't eat, I, I don't eat red meat. I don't eat meat. Actually, I'm pescatarian. Um, and my blood work is just fine. And so it's just knowing what to do, what to eat and how right. to help your digestive system absorb what, what it is it needs to um, do. And when I was getting more irritable and all that, because now they know there's that link to, to the microbiome in your stomach and your moods and stuff. Right. And so but yeah anyway so don't get me started on that but coming to talk about community again this is something that impacts our mental health because and i don't know why we do this to ourselves as women everybody wants to prove that they're on top of everything and so here we are and we're like yeah i got it together and i'm on top of it and nobody has we are all (laughs) we are all making it up as we go along and you have to ha- ask for help when you need the help. And so if you don't have a community around you right. for you to ask for that help, then there's that isolation that comes with it. That also affects your mental health, right? But if you're working all the hours God sent, which was what I was doing, you don't have the time to invest in friendship and community and build that community that's going to support you, which again is insane. And and I think pieces of that are, you know, like on Instagram or Facebook or wherever people post all these amazing pictures and like, look how happy we are. And it's a snapshot, but yet we think like, oh, well, this person over here, they've got it all together. And I will forever use this example. I, one of my dearest friends, we would have FaceTime calls on Friday mornings because she lives in another state and And she had posted on Instagram that morning, this beautiful picture of her tea and her journal and, you know, a candle and like, oh, and, you know, maybe a green smoothie, like the perfect, you know, Friday morning, but before the kids go to school and we get on the phone and I'm like, how does your kitchen counter have nothing on it? How is your, like, how is your life together? And she laughs. She flips the camera around 
kitchen counters full of everything except for, you know, just this like one square that she took the picture. Yeah. And it was at this moment of, I have no idea what's on the other side of the camera. And, and I think that women, we can do this to ourselves almost, right? By believing what everyone has put out there. And so that's why another reason why I think community is important because you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Are you too? Yeah. Yeah. And and with community, you, you know, because if you're looking on social media, what you're doing is comparing your attic to somebody's basement, right? It's never a like for like comparison. Whereas if you have community, you're going around each other's houses, you know, everybody's, you know, kitchen counters got stuff on there. And if they don't have stuff on there, you know, they need to be seeing a psychiatrist. So it's just, it's the way we live. You have to live. We all live. And if you're not being real, if you are having this curated life because you've seen somebody on social media arrange themselves like that and you're aspiring to that, that is madness. That is absolute madness. And for me, I felt that I was very set on not being the woman going to let the side down and I was going to have it all and all this. And I still believe women should have it all. What I don't believe is that you have to do it all, right? So you should absolutely have it all. Go for it. Be as ambitious, whatever. But you don't have to do it all. I like that. You can have it all, but you don't have to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's where your partner, your friends, support come in. Because I know that that here in America, and I'm sure everywhere probably there's still like women do a disproportionate amount of child care and housework 75 percent to be precise and so if we're doing 75 percent as women and working full-time yeah then that's not like it's no wonder we're feeling exhausted and overwhelmed Right. It's not a level playing field. So this is what the research shows. The women do 75% of the domestic chores and the caring responsibilities and all the rest of it. So before you get to, 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 to the office, right, you have probably, some of us would have done a whole day's work. And then you get to the office and then you have to go and compete toe-to-toe with these men who literally rolled out of bed and then into the office. So it is not a level playing field. And then you have to go and deal with all these workplace biases like uh, the moment you get pregnant, it's like, oh, she's got pregnancy brain she can't think or um you know heaven forbid you are around 50 and you forget something and it's oh my god you know menopause you know she can't think or i don't know you feel hot and it's oh my god it's hot flushes she can't think so (laughs) it's just ways to minimize whatever is going on with the female biology in the workplace right and so to have to deal with that and bat it away constantly to be proving that, hang on, I'm just as capable, I can go toe-to-toe. It's exhausting. That has got its own mental load oh, on yeah. right? And so you're not just going to do a full day's work at uh, uh, work. You, you're doing your work as well as batting off all this. That tires you, and then you come on to 75% of the work. Give us a break. And, you know, I'm thinking about that, so... 
really, you know, being a home carer, you know, the grocery shopping, childcare, laundry, cleaning, all of those things, that used to be a job, right? Like as a, as a, for, for that was your full-time yeah. job as a stay-at-home mom. But now we're working full-time jobs and working a full-time job yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, so how are, or is there a way, what way do we as women ask for help in a way that's effective? Right. And so, want. yeah. So asking for help in the way that's effective. First of all, when I work with women, when I coach with women, I'm saying to them, it needs to start with you. It needs to start with your own self-esteem. Right. Because if you've got low self-esteem, that's when you're trying to prove to everybody that I'm OK. I'm all right. I can do it. I can run at 150 miles an hour because you are overcompensating for something. Whereas if your self-esteem is where it needs to be, you know that asking for help is not a sign of failure. You know asking for help means you are efficient. It means you know your capability. You know you've been strategic enough. You've thought ahead enough to know there's going to be a shortfall here. And so I'm asking you to help me meet this shortfall. That is what capable, efficient women do, right? That is not what people with low self-esteem do. And so if you, and also at work, what happens is people are afraid to put firm boundaries in place. As in, I've got to pick up the kids. I'm leaving. This is the time I'm leaving, right? This is non-negotiable. Um, and if there's something else, I will do it this other time or you should have told me before, whatever, whatever. Now, they think that saying something like that means that they're weak and that they can't do everything within the workday uh, and but that is not what it is because if you are capable and if you are delivering at the job you can put firm boundaries in place absolute firm boundaries in place because they know i mean when i was in the corporate world people would use i used to be a program manager in it and people would want me to come and manage their projects and the first conversation will be that you know i will be starting at 10 in the morning because i'm doing the school run right? I will be starting at 10 in the morning. And so my working day starts at 10 and I would leave later. That was at the start of the conversation, deal or no deal. Now I could do that. Why? Because they knew I would deliver because people used to hunt me out to come and deliver the project. So it depends on you, the person working on yourself, being a person of integrity, delivering what you say you're going to deliver. That is where you get the confidence to say no. So, you know, something that, that I've noticed with women that I've worked with and even friends is even at work, they won't ask subordinates to do tasks because they don't want people to think they can't do it. You know, even if it's something that, you know, truly it's like cleaning the floor in the bathroom that you can call and, you know, the janitorial staff will come and do it. No, I'm going to do this now, even though it's taking away from work. And so, you know, like you said, there's that self-esteem piece that comes yep. with it. I also have found that values, like what is really important to me? Like when you focus on that and focus on what you want to do and what you need to do, not what yeah. you feel like you should be doing. Um, 
And also like time, time management can be really difficult for women mm-hmm. because there's so many pieces, especially if you're the one dropping kids off and picking kids up and making dinner. Right. So when you're working with people, how do you help them plan their, their schedule or so, make everything fit in? Yeah. So, so two things going back to the first thing as in not delegating right? So where somebody else can mop the floors or whatever, you feel you have to do everything yourself. Again, why? Why do you have to do everything yourself? And so you're not delegating because of two reasons. You're not delegating because you feel that you've lost control, right? When you delegate and now you're there thinking, oh, I should be able to do everything. And so by it's, it's sort of tied in with, with them asking for help. And so people are afraid to delegate, right? Now, um, Especially if you're a senior manager and you're not delegating, you're not going to go anywhere fast. You will get stuck in the weeds and that's not what you want because there's no strategic thinking happening when you're stuck in the weeds. You have to give somebody else a chance who's coming up the ladder to do that job that develops them, that grows them and it gives you the bandwidth for you to focus on the strategic stuff. And for you to know how to play the game, because the men who are not bogged down by being stuck in the weeds are busy looking at the strategic stuff. And if you want to compete with them, you cannot be making the teas and coffees in the office. You just cannot be making the teas and coffees in the office. Right. Um, So you need to know that in terms of delegating um, and how it allows you to compete strategically. And then when it comes to time management. They're 24 hours in the day, full stop, right? Everybody has got to do whatever it is they want to do in those 24 hours. So you need to work out what is important to you. So again, this goes back to your values, right? So there's a values as in what you value. And then also for you to get strategic and look at the objectives. What it? What is it? What do I need to achieve? And for the women, you know, things, there's no point killing yourself doing invisible work that nobody gives a whatever about right Right. look at the visible stuff what is important right what needs to be done because you can be doing lots of stuff that's eating into your time it's not visible it's not important it's not critical what's the point right so i'm sure you were yeah um um Uh, The Eisenhower matrix, as in, you know, what's important and and critical and that sort of thing. So it's knowing that and knowing where you want to focus your time. You know, is it important? Is it urgent? Is it critical? And that shows the sort of things that you shouldn't be bothered about, what you should delegate and basically what is in your on your boss's uh, uh, radar. Right. And that is really where you need to be prioritizing what is on your boss's radar. So he gets, he, she gets what they want. And then you get to look good and let somebody else make the coffee. Because your boss isn't going to notice where, who made the coffee. No, no. But they're going to notice whether or not that report that they have to send to the board of directors got to them on time time. and complete. Exactly. Exactly. And so like at home then too, with, with a partner, how do you delegate then? What so, are ways- yeah, and, and, and I, I, like I, I got, when I coach you, I got a whole module on this, why I call equitable living, because everybody needs to have that conversation with their partner. We are running an enterprise called the family. 
you are a stakeholder, your husband is a stakeholder or your partner is a stakeholder, the children are stakeholders, right? The grandparents are stakeholders. Everybody plays a part in this. You, it is not incumbent on you. You're not the only person keeping the show on the road. And so unless you guys agree that this is a joint enterprise, okay, and we all have to play our part, once you accept that, then it's a conversation around the table. Okay, mate, what are you going to do and what am I going to do? And that conversation needs to happen in every household. So everybody does something. And I mean, I've been known to say, as soon as the kids are upright and can walk, give them a job. Do you know? And it starts from two years old. Do you know if they can uh, upright and they can walk? Give them a job. It develops their self-esteem. It develops their uh, confidence. It makes them feel self-assured. But what women do is they do everything because, you know, they have to go and tidy their teenager's room. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? What is that about? And then you'll be late in getting that report to your boss. Why can't the teenager tidy their own room? You know, so this was last week. I had my my son load the dishwasher and he loaded it. Everything was in there, but it wasn't loaded the way I wanted it to be loaded. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go behind him and change the way it was loaded. I wanted to take everything out and put it in my way. And I took a deep breath and I said, okay, Amanda, one, do you really have, or do you want to spend that 10 minutes on that task? No, I really don't. There's other things that I could use that time for. And then I was like, two, what am I teaching my son by having him do this task and then going behind him and fixing it? Yeah. Especially because it didn't really need to be fixed. It just wasn't the way I wanted it to be done. Yeah. And for me too, that's, As a mom, I feel like I'm helping my children learn skills that will serve them as adults. Yeah, yeah. These things, so their living is part of a family unit and they need to know they have a responsibility to contribute to this family unit. But a lot of women run dysfunctional, unbalanced households where they're running themselves rugged, doing everything, and their kids are just sitting there with dad watching football or whatever it is people do, right? What are you teaching the kids, for example? So, and for those with boys, right, what you're doing is perpetuating that. So the next generation, he'll be sitting there football whilst his wife is still slaving away over a hot stove and stuff like that. So it is incumbent on us women to actually train these boys do you know, to pitch in, it starts at home. And by doing that, you, the woman, you free up more time for yourself, right? And my husband, when I was having all my problems and stuff like that, um, I was doing a disproportionate amount of the housework. Um, He's not a bad person. I just wouldn't let anybody do it. I was trying to be superwoman. Right now, as part of changing my lifestyle, we sat down, we had the conversation then, who is going to do what? And now he does most of the housework, actually, do you know? Um, because he knew you, how important it was to have a wife that felt strong, 
in her body and felt happy because he was like having to pay the price of me being grumpy all the time and me just being moody all the time because I wasn't well, do you know? And so, and we, we all know a happy wife is a happy life. So everybody has got a responsibility to building the household unit and keeping it running smoothly. And everybody has to pitch it. And I want to point out too that if you are a stay-at-home mom with kids at home, like especially thinking, you know, preschool age that aren't going to school every day, you it can be a struggle to do the things like laundry and dishes and grocery shopping. Um, and so you may still need your partner to help, even though it's your and quotation marking job to do everything around the house. It's also not because, like you said, it's a partnership. So, and and this, sorry to interrupt, but this, <laughs> this is the thing with stay at home moms, right? That does my head in. Again, we've bought into the narrative. The fact that you're staying at home means that you have to do everything. That's nonsense, right? Now, the man goes out, works eight hours or 10 hours, comes home, puts his feet up, and then you're, you're staying at home, right? But you're working like 18 hours. What the hell? So we should, the fact that you're staying at home doesn't mean the man shouldn't help. When they come home from work, right, you haven't stopped. Your day still goes on. So from that point on, you still need to start sharing. You still yes. need to start sharing. And, and it may be, you know, hey, I need you to take bath time or bedtime so that I can have 30 minutes to sit down and read. And, and I think that, and again, like, what are we telling our kids yeah. when we allow our partner to just come home and do nothing do when there's, when they're watching then the other parent, typically the mom, yeah, you know, cooking dinner, cleaning bath time, bedtime, then, you know, the dishes again, putting them away, cleaning. And the thing and about not getting them involved is, um, and, and again, when I coach you, particularly new mothers, I'm like, get him feeding the baby like day two. So because they think, oh, he's not as confident, but nobody was born confident with babies. We learned. Right. And the quicker you get them in there, the quicker you can start having more sleep at night and the more confident they start being with the babies. You know, my. My now ex-husband, when when my daughter was born um, and this happened with with both kids, but I started to take like the like feed at like 10 o'clock and then he would do a feeding at, you know, like midnight, but I would go to bed at, you know, 1030 and he would do that feeding at midnight or one come to bed. But then I would get up at the five o'clock in the morning feeding and he would sleep until eight. Mm. So we were both getting yeah. a decent amount yeah. of sleep. Yeah. Now it wasn't perfect. Um, but that was how we managed to make it balance a little mm -hmm. bit better because I mm -hmm. still had to work my full-time mm -hmm. job. And so did he, 
but we also had this tiny little baby that needed to be fed and yeah um and so it may seem to some people like such a little thing but for me getting six or seven straight hours straight hours yeah meant that I felt better and so I could do the things at work I could be present at work and I remember growing up my mom was a corporate executive um she was my mom was badass she got um a master's in computer science as a woman in the 70s like she was she's awesome um but I remember her telling me all the time like I can't come to this thing because if I go I'm gonna get the this is why we can't have women in leadership positions because they'll drop everything to go take care of their kid but if one of my male colleagues went oh my gosh what a great dad he is that he's taking time away from work to go spend time with his kids that isn't, I mean, that's quite a narrative to like be telling ourselves and our children. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's why if both of you are working uh, and even if both of you aren't working, if one is stay at home, whatever, you need to sit down, have a comprehensive list of this is the list of tasks that we use to run this house. Who's going to do what? And when I'm coaching, well, I actually have a spreadsheet that we go through it. Because what happens is even the ones that think that their husbands or their partners are really good and they're doing a lot around the house, when you sit there and you write it down, they normally they realize that they're still doing the bulk of it. The women are still doing, even mm-hmm. those with the men, uh, who they think are good. And women also have this thing that, oh, oh my husband helped around the house. Well, there should be no helping. That word should be abolished. Nobody's helping anyone, right? So the woman thinks the man is helping me. Nobody's helping anyone. This is a shared responsibility. And so here's your bit and here's my bit. Nobody's helping anyone. And when it comes to the workplace, um, the expectation is that if the child is sick, is a woman that takes the time off, right, to, to go look after the kid. Right. And if the man did, you know, the woman either, well, I used to then be beating myself up and feeling guilty. Because this really happened to me where one time I had a presentation I couldn't get out of. My son wasn't well. And my husband had to take him to the hospital. And I spent all the time beating myself up about it. But flip it around, Right. If I had taken him to the hospital, would my husband have been beating himself about? No. So why is it that he, a grown man, the father of the child, takes him to hospital and everybody, including the doctors and the nurses, everybody is like, oh, where is mom? (laughs) Why do we, yeah, why do we still live in that society? Because, you know, somebody who, you know, I think my son was how old was he then? Maybe four or five, right? Um, And so it was just that the fact that it was a man bringing him, you know, every the whole setup doesn't recognize it. And then the woman is made to feel like she's prioritized her career over taking her kid to the hospital. But if you sat down and you've split the duties and it's like, okay, today, okay, little Johnny's not well, your turn, mate, you go, then whatever anybody else is saying, you actually don't Mm -hmm. care. And the more partnerships that do that, 
the quicker it will be to normalize this. Well, it, it's been about a year now, but I was out, um, there's a, a bar beer garden here that I love. And I will sometimes on a beautiful day, like go and work there. And there was this man, two men and a child. And somebody was like, oh, you're babysitting today. And I'm eavesdropping as, as I might, you know, as one does. And it became clear that this child he was babysitting was his son. And I just had this moment of like, Amanda, don't say anything. Don't say anything. And I looked and I was like, oh, so you're parenting. You're not babysitting. Then I was like, I don't know you and I'm sorry, but no, you're parenting. And that's a distinct difference too, right? If a man takes their kid to the park, it's, oh, you you know, he's babysitting. Where's mom? Like, how nice of you to let mom get a break. Yes. Yes. How nice of you to let mom get get a lie in and then basically it's like the man is doing something that the woman should be doing and this is all well and good when what women did was stay at home and do nothing else right um i said well and even then it wasn't all right because you know still they were doing 18 hour days whilst the man wasn't Uh, and so now it just just time for us to rebalance it because if we don't these women are burning out um, they're leaving the workplace in their droves because it's just not sustainable and it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help anyone. When the and mom is burnt out and ill, it affects the children's well-being. And women are capable of doing really amazing things. And if they're not in the workplace, what are we, like the world, missing out on? What are exactly. we not? As a society. Yes. Like, so as in, yeah. you know, what if, what if this woman that decided to stay home yeah, had the cure for cancer, but she yeah. stayed home because things didn't feel balanced. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's a very real, you know, piece. And you've talked a lot too about like this holistic approach. And so I know, if, you know, spirituality is part of this as well yeah. for you. So what role does spirituality then play in this taking care of your whole self? Right. So for me, people, when they hear spirituality, think woo-woo, right? And that's not how I think of spirituality. Spirituality to me is just mindset on steroids. That's all, right? It's enhanced psychology. Um, because if you... um. The way you think, the way you manage your mind, the way you manage your emotions affects your body and soul. If you're there stressed, the signals you're sending to your body, the hormones you're producing, the chemicals you're producing in your body are different from when you're calm, right? And this is a fact. I mean, science has proven this. And what allows you to think these calm thoughts and stop yourself from panicking stop yourself from running constant anxiety, uh, stop yourself from thinking bad negative thoughts. What stops you from doing all those things really is your mindset, right? And your mindset tends to be sort of hooked to your values and what you think and um, what you consider important 
And your values really normally are driven by, it tends to be, you know, religion and whatever. Right. This is where people will base their values in. And so this is where the spirituality comes in. But I mean, an easy example for me where I don't eat rubbish and I find it easy not to eat rubbish. Why? Because for me, here's where the spirituality comes in. My body is a temple. Right. And you will not put rubbish in a temple. It's as easy as that for me. Do you know? And so if you think that your body is a temple and you are housing divinity in this, what we call the body, you're careful what you do with this body. You're careful what you put in this body. You know, you take time to exercise this body. You take time to make this body look good because it is housing divinity. So I arrive at that mindset from my spirituality and my spiritual principles. You, know, you said that and this thing came up for me, which is if your body is divine, if you are divine, like, and you're telling yourself you're not good enough, you're do, you need to do more. Would you tell God, like, you're not good enough? Exactly. Exactly. I, so if you have divinity in you, right? If you were made in God's image, which is whichever spiritual discipline you go into, they all come back to the same thing, right? That we're all made. We're all part of the same yes. we're all part of the divine right we all have the divine in us then when you come across a difficulty and you're busy telling yourself i can't i can't i can't that doesn't make sense right that does not it is not um congruent with i have divinity in me i am part of the divine Right. So it is what you think in terms of your spiritual principles. That is what affects your behavior, because that is what generates the mindset that then affects your behavior. So um, where uh, people forgiveness is another one, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, again, the science is coming out to prove this because, you know, if you're angry with somebody, you're not forgiving them and you're all, ah, and all running all that cortisol and whatever. Who are you hurting but yourself? Because those chemicals you were generating in your body, you know, those stress chemicals, they're not hurting the person you're angry mm -hmm. with, they're hurting you. And so when you look on the spiritual side of things and they're saying about forgiveness and let go and all that, what is the importance of letting go? The importance of that is so that you're not generating those chemicals that then tip you into the fight or flight mode, right? Which is then makes you all, you know, anxious. And, and so you want to be calm, you want to be peaceful. And also, nobody in fight or flight mode is being creative. No, you're not. You are, you are in the brace position. Okay, so if you want to be creative, if you want to be productive, you need to change your emotional state from the fight or flight into somewhere calmer, right? So your body doesn't feel like it's under attack and then basically is mobilizing the, 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 the tools for running away. 
right? And then stopping your digestion and all that because it's things, you know, some something is going to happen to you and get you, get your body to producing different chemicals in terms of the calm state that allows you then to be able to come out of a brace position into everything is okay. All right, now let's create, right? Now, so if you think about spirituality and whichever spiritual dimension you come from and the commonality that runs through spirituality, it is just to keep you, if you like, in a mindset that is positive and makes you feel in control and makes you feel I'm okay and all the rest of it. And that is why I think spirituality is so important. It almost seems like a, a connection to yourself too, like to be fully connected with what matters to you, with your body, with, and then the community around you as well. Yes. Um, because if you're not present, if you're not whole, then you're not going to be present or whole for the people, your community at all. No. And why would you treat somebody else well why would you treat somebody else like you would like yourself to be treated if you're not seeing the god in them right so we are all spiritual beings donning these bodies having a physical experience and you know i'm gonna like a you know christian piece to this would be like jesus said love your neighbor as yourself oh. but here's the thing that that i i want to glom onto is as yourself Mm-hmm. you're supposed to love yourself and then you're supposed to treat others as you want to be treated, which also yep. means you should treat yourself like you treat other people. You know, when yes. you're giving all of the things to everyone else, you know, I, I will often ask my clients or friends, like, so if I was your, like, if you were talking to your child, if you were talking to your sister, what would you be telling them oh well they would get to do all of these other things but i'm different i don't get those things no no we're not you're not like you're special but you're not that special right yeah. like, like and your people need you yeah and yeah. with that one of my i i am terrible i'm much better now but there was a long time where i would do everything for everyone else and i needed help with something and i was struggling to ask for it and one of my good friends looked at me and said, Amanda, how do you feel when you help other people? And I was like, oh, I feel good. What went on? And she was like, so why are you trying to take that away from us when we're offering to help you and you tell us no? And that hit me hard. It's like, oh, no, you're taking something away from me yeah. by not letting me help you. And if you think of it that way, like, what are you taking away by not giving up things? Like, what are you taking away from others? Like you mentioned earlier, delegating a task so that a subordinate can develop and learn mm -hmm. so that then they can grow in their mm -hmm. career and mm -hmm. succeed. Yeah. So like, it's not, it's not being weak. It's not, it's none of those, right? It's an act of self-love. It is. It takes confidence to delegate. 
right? When you when you're holding it all there like that, you're not confident, right? You're insecure. It takes confidence to delegate. And when you delegate, what's happening is you're actually building intimacy with people because you're allowing them to step up and help. And that is how you know, people then feel closer to you. Because if you're there hogging everything and doing everything yourself, you distance yourself from people, you know? Right. And that's how you end up, you know, in a very isolated place, pretending that you can do it all, you've got it all together. And, and then, you know, you stress yourself out. It, it's insane to want to do that. But you can delegate, which means it leaves you more time to get more strategic, the people you're delegating to, they it develops them, and this works for, for at work as well as at home, particularly for the children. Do you know? It gives them the skills they need. It makes them feel self-assured, and you know they want to help mummy as well. They do, you know. And it's just letting them know that here's your bit. This is what you contribute, and if you don't do this bit here. I'm going to be out till midnight doing all that, which means tomorrow morning I'll be yelling at you and nobody wants that. <laughs> Do you know? So it is just knowing about taking stuff off your plate, making sure you can fill your own cup because, of course, you cannot pour from an empty cup, right? So to keep constantly filling your cup, prioritizing your self-care, because that is important. That is your responsibility. Because if you don't, again, you're yelling at your, your partner, you're yelling at the children. Nobody has a good time. Nobody has a good time. So in a lot of ways, this just really starts with letting go, delegating, and finding that community. Like those things alone, right? It sounds like that could shift so much for your well-being. A lot of things. And to put yourself at the center of your life. You need to be there at the center of your life. You are your number one priority because if you're not well and it goes to the extreme, think about if the mother is dead, look at the children, how lost they're going to be, right? Because you didn't look after yourself. Do you know? So here's the responsibility. You owe it to yourself to look after yourself so your children feel safe because they need to know you're going to be there for them right. rather than you've made yourself ill and worried your children and worried your partner. And I mean, I have stared at this in the face, so I know what it feels like. I absolutely know what it feels like to destabilize everybody because you haven't taken the time to look after mm -hmm. yourself. I know my listeners have heard me say this before, but I think that we are like the sun and, you know, if the sun goes away from our solar system, everything dies, right? Everything because, dies. And yeah. also all the planets are going to start spinning out of orbit and run into each other. And everything is going to be just all kinds of out of whack because yeah. if we are not good, nothing else is going to run it's good. smoothly. And, yeah. and so... Yeah, you are the most important thing, period. Whoever you are. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that doesn't mean whether you're a man or a woman or, you know, a three-year-old, like you, you are the most important person in your world. And you're the person that knows the most about you. Yes. So yes. trust yourself, which mm -hmm. kind of goes back to that self-esteem, like trusting that you yeah. know 
what you need and what's best for you and feeling mm-hmm. confident and asking and, and delegating is really not asking. I'd like to point out too. delegating is really a, this is your job now. And you're not required to ask in all situations. You can tell. Yeah. You can tell people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, if they're working for you, they're there to help mm-hmm. because you would have a shared objective to deliver something, whatever it is to make something, whatever. Right, you have a shared objective. So it is always looking at it as in who is best placed to do this. And if somebody else can do that job, you have no business doing it. I'm going to repeat that. If somebody else can do it, you have no business doing it. And the more you take off your plate, the more you get to breathe, the more you get to be a better person. And I think that is the great place to end with don't do it if you don't have to what a gift that is to yourself right i don't mm-hmm. i don't need to do this so i'm not going to thank you so yeah. much for that that end i'm gonna remind in fact i might put that up on my wall like as a reminder i appreciate that thank you so much for being here with me and, uh, and sharing your wisdom um you can find more of Gifty on her website, which is giftyenright.com. I'm also going to link her book um, and all of her social stuff in the show notes as well. Um, and so with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. Uh, thank you for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open up a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society in all the places you find your favorite podcast. And uh, please subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. You can find additional resources on our website, thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise.